see my wall pictures here behind me. I can talk a little bit about those. You know, it's it's interesting how this book's come full circle and Extreme Makeovers where it ends. Uh, me working on the TV show and then the show's coming back to HGTV. It actually debuts in February. I thought that was just the timing of it all. Is that something we can talk about? Or are you doing? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I don't have anything to do with the new show, and I did two builds on when it was on ABC. Um, I don't know if you mind if, if we just mentioned we don't have to mention ABC, but you know when it was on TV the first time, I did two uh, two builds for them. One was Pine Mountain Valley, Georgia, uh, near Callaway Gardens, and one uh, in here in Virginia Beach. Okay. Um, Very cool. I'm just going to say real quick, because I'm not going to edit out what we just all said, unless you can't say ABC. uh, (laughs) It was reality. That's where it was. Okay. I'm just going to say welcome to No Driving Gloves, everybody. You've got uh, Derek and John tonight. And we've got a uh, author who reached out to us who's kind of got a neat motivational story. And obviously, he's got a little bit of that TV experience. uh, I'm not editing out the pre-show conversation there. Um, And that's uh, Dwayne Cotton. Everybody want to say hi or do a quick rundown of whatever you did the last couple days? Well, uh, it's it's Derek, and uh, I uh, obviously have been working a lot. Uh, One of the cool things I wanted to mention on this show, because let's see, we'll air this. Have you decided when we're airing shows yet, John? Because you keep changing it. If I can keep my butt in gear, um, being ill this week, I don't know if I'll make it, but I'm trying to do Friday releases, so it's the 22nd, so hopefully it comes out on the 24th. If not, it'll be our typical 27th. Okay, well, whether this is on the 24th or the 27th, uh, coming up on Friday the 31st uh, at the day job for me, which is, of course, the, the Corvette Museum, as probably all of our listeners know by now, we are actually having a really cool uh, exhibit opening. It's an exhibit that's going to last from basically February 1st to December 31st of this year. And uh, it is an exhibit on the art and influence of Ed Big Daddy Roth and the Rat Fink. So uh, it's going to be at 10 a.m. at the Corvette Museum. So if any of our listeners are close and they want to come out and check it out, it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I can say that the Discovery Channel is going to be filming at the opening, but I cannot say why. So you may want to come and check that out to see why they're filming. And uh, it's it's just it's a really cool exhibit. Um, we've got a lot of Ed Roth vehicles, basically on the east side of the Mississippi, and all together again. Uh, f- probably for the first time in possibly forever, but let's say a very, very long time on this side of the country. And uh, we also have some cars that were influenced by Ed Roth, as as the title says. And uh, actually the co-curator of this exhibit is none other than Tom Peters, the retired uh, chief designer of, of Corvette for the sixth, seventh, and eighth generation Corvette. So Kind of a cool tie there to Corvette history. So got to drop that little nugget on the show this week. Well, I'm going to say I've heard some background, and I heard the um, new Paul Tuttle endeavor with Discovery Channel is something about doing some custom Corvettes. See, Derek's no, no confirming or denying, just rolling his eyes at me. You can you can show up at the exhibit and find out why. <laughs> so, do you have anything, uh, Dwayne, that you think's uh, newsworthy in the last day or two, or uh, last day or two? Um, yeah, I'm still living the dream. You know, uh, <laughs> the the diverse business or businesses that we're in, uh, we always have something new. Um, uh, last couple of days, I would say uh, planning a little getaway of uh, February 1st, the weekend of February 1st, and actually try to find some snow on the East Coast somewhere so we can go enjoy snowboarding. Hmm. I'm turning the big 5-0, so I need to celebrate with broken bones 
or something. I don't know. I, I got a little bit of relief uh, <laughs> about a month ago on my birthday because I thought I was turning 49 this year and I turned it, found out I was turning 48. I lose track of my uh, birthday. Oh, so. Congratulations. <laughs> so, you picked up the year. That's, yes, yeah, so I that's, really... that's the problem. That's the problem with having those multiple birth certificates you keep using <laughs> oh. for identification <laughs> places, John. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a little bit of confusion, and it's my math challenges. I can't figure out how old I am, but if you would see the equations I sent off today to have put into an Excel spreadsheet because I couldn't figure it out, you'd think I was a math genius or Sheldon Cooper or something. Yeah, but that's that's a surprise. You're missing one candle on the cake. It's like, oh, okay, I'm a year younger. Great. I didn't get any older. It was a kind of a <laughs> wasted birthday this year. That's right. And I'm not dating as younger of a woman as I thought I was, or engaged to as a younger woman as I thought I was. Because I got younger. I I like this. Maybe I'm just going to go mork for mork, and I'm going to start regressing. Maybe next year's my 47th birthday. Yeah, there you go. Well, tell me how you do it. Just consider it your leap year. (laughs) Fun stuff. Well, the way you reached out to us, because um, I guess somehow in your life you... uh, decided to become an author and tell a little bit of your story. Uh, I do apologize because I've been ill and stuff this week and I put things off to the last minute. I've only read a portion of your book. I haven't read it all. I kind of read a couple of chapters tonight too, to have a little spattering throughout the, you know, the whole book and can relate to some of it. I don't, you know, obviously we just said you and I aren't that far apart in age. Right. And that really puts some of the 1983 stuff that you kind of lead off in the book in perspective. But that was a great year, by the way. It was a great year. If I'm, let's see here. Yeah. Do the math, John. Yeah. And I think I, we, we got a little Derek that year if I'm doing the math correctly. Mm. There you go. <laughs> you. Now, now, suddenly I feel old. <laughs> Sorry. Derek and Will has a, a tendency to make you feel that way when you're like us. Yeah, yeah so 1983 was interesting. Um, I it, it was funny. I was, I was riding uh, my bike with a good friend, John, and there was a group of us in a neighborhood that used to hang out uh, late. See, the bike was one of the specific things because I, I had a friend with the same bike you allude to in the book. The Huffy Bandit? The Huffy <laughs> Bandit, and I had the uh, Schwinn Phantom Scrambler, so we, we always kind of fought that had the, the better bike. Was that the one with the fiberglass or the plastic spoked rims? No, I didn't have that one. I, mine was a... Uh, like a 78 model or something. And that the plastic spokes were 76 and 77s. Got it. So it was kind of the continuation. My parents didn't want me to have that. I think they wanted me to have, you know, a bike with real metal on it. And <laughs> yeah, well, makes you know, more of a man. <laughs> says the guy, right. guy who lives around plastic. Yeah. Especially when you, uh, Oh, Oh, wow. I got that dig. Sorry, it was a little late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but a, a 78 Huffy Bandit in 1983 in bike years for me when I was a young guy was probably 50 years old. Right. Because, you know, we were jumping ramps and uh, in the store in the book, you'll read one part where we were jumping off the end of a sidewalk. So the sidewalk ended. It dropped down about four or five feet to the bottom of a swamp. And so we decided to set a ramp up on the end of that sidewalk. So when we hit the ramp, we were figuring we were about seven or eight feet off the ground and we were trying to grab branches hanging kind of low. I never grabbed a branch, but the one poor guy that did figured out the physics of it all moving (laughs) and a branch was about four inches diameter. It snapped. He hit the ground and we didn't do it anymore. So (laughs) that Huffy Bandit hit the ground a few times. I say, I, I think I did a lot of the same things as you allude in the book. It's uh, it, it was a different time back then. You know, it, it was different. So we're not recommending that. We're <laughs> yes. just saying what we did. Yeah, it was fun. So in 1983, end of summer, John and I were deciding, okay, a lot of our friends were on vacation right before school started. And uh, there was a, a, a two-lane road, but people used to drive, well, they still do, they probably drive worse now, but they drive really fast on that road. So we decided, let's go in a different neighborhood. Let's do something new today. So we rode across this road and we went into a neighborhood that we didn't typically, well, we'd never ridden our bike to. And 
as I rounded the corner and went down the road, I approached the back of this black and gold Mustang GT. Now, I didn't know what year it was uh, at the time, 13 years old. I just saw black and gold stripes, chrome, GT, two four barrels, the hood laying against the tree. And wow, you know, love at first sight. Thinking back, was that like a... Um what I want to say, one of the uh, Hertz, Hertz Mustangs or something, do you suspect? Or it, it is. And so that's why if I go to a car, when I, when I go to a car show now, the enthusiasts really don't care for my car because it's the only 66 GT coupe that was originally green with a white stripe that's painted black and gold. <laughs> uh, so they, you know, you know, that's not a Hertz, really. <laughs> so, um, but it, it, that's the way, that's the color scheme it was when I first laid eyes on the car. And that's what that was my attachment. I, I fell in love with it. You know, it was it black and gold. That was it. And um, as we approached the guy that owned it, he had, there was a real Shelby hood on it. So it was the fiberglass removable hood. And that was leaning against an oak tree. And of course, I didn't know anything other than it was the hood. And I looked at this engine and the chrome, the two four barrels, the headers and all this stuff that was new to me as a 13 year old. And it was amazing. Um, and of course, like a typical car guy, he said, Hey, hold on. And he gets in it, cranks it up and, uh, high compression, big cam. So, you know, short pipes. And back then it was the glass packs. <laughs> so it made a lot of noise, fun stuff. So was this, so, um, uh, what, well, I can't think, of, uh, think, uh, Spike Ferrison calls it the taproot car. Is this where you became a car person? Were you a car person before you saw this Mustang or was this a huge revelation? It was a huge revelation. I mean, I, I liked cars, you know, had all the little matchbox and hot wheels cars and I just liked the way, but I, I didn't go to car shows and my, my dad used to have hot rods, you know, when he was younger, but not since I was alive. And, and so the car was the why that made me figure out my how. So at, at 13, I see this car and suddenly, and I write about this in a book driven, um, I could see myself older, exactly what I'd be wearing, exactly at the intersection that later in the book I described that I found myself at. Um, it was amazing. I could just see my future. I could see myself in that car. And that's what I look back on now and say how 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 interesting that is, like knowing how the brain works now. And so it's something that you typically hear people call the law of attraction, you know, if you can if you can hold it in your mind, you can hold it in your hands, that type thing. And I look back on it and say, wow, it was, I could see my future for whatever reason, that car, I could see myself driving it. And there was three problems. When I was 13, I was three years away from getting my driver's license. I didn't have any money and the car wasn't for sale, but all those were just small details. I'd soon work out. It's yeah, just a little obstacle in front of you. It the desire to, uh, as we rode our John and I rode our bikes away. I said, "I'm going to own that car one day." And you know, as kids say, "Yeah, yeah, right," you know that type thing. Uh, and we ride our bikes down the road. But I knew, uh, like, there was no no doubt in my mind at 13 years old, I would see that car again. I would drive that car again. And so, um, uh, for you know, and it, actually, what happened was that is when I be, became an entrepreneur. So I immediately said, okay, the car's not for sale, so I have time. I don't have my license, so that's cool. How do I start making money? Because one day that car's going to come for sale, and I want the money to buy it. And I say, I'm trying to think of which way to go because back <laughs> we're very similar in age here, and I'm thinking right. back into high school, and um, it's weird how Mustangs cross through your life. I mean, Derek's going to be, I don't, Derek, have you been involved with Mustangs at all? Other than when your time at Henry Ford? Uh, well, the time, my time spent working at Henry Ford Museum and the 65 Mustang convertible that my dad and I own that, well, technically is for my mom, but needs to be restored still. Okay. Because I remember that. And of course, you've got a Falcon, which is that not what became the Mustang? That um, is what became the Mustang. Because yes. I'm, I'm thinking my, my dad, you know, my little Mustang story is my grandfather uh, purchased a, 
64 and a half Mustang in May of 1964. Um, unfortunately, he was the second owner. <laughs> it was bought mm-hmm. and sold back to the dealer. And so nobody classifies us as, you know, we've owned our Mustang. It's been in the family longer than most Mustangs have been in anybody's family. But we don't classify because he bought the car used. Me and, uh, my, me and my frugal family, but yeah. <laughs> that, that, that Mustang still kicks around for our family. And, you know, it'd be, the restoration on it began in 1979 and, um, we'll let you know when it finishes. Yeah. Um, Always a working project. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, before, before you dive too far, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, of course, being the historian guy on the show, the, the boring guy as we're, as I'm called <laughs> sometimes, uh, you know, obviously you're passionate about the car. You fell in love with the car, you know, but the moment you saw it right. and, and it led you to have, you know, kind of this entrepreneurial spirit and, and the history you now have being an entrepreneur, but have you done the research? Like, do you know the history of the car? Like, before obviously you probably know the history of the car from the moment you saw it on because you probably kept track of it and what it was doing and where it was so you could always know that when it came up it was for sale but did did you do the research on the car too to to know you know from before you saw it at 13 what that car's life had been no you know i i I still haven't done that and it's the bucket list item one day i want to find out you know exactly what day it was built, where it was shipped to, and what dealer sold it. I do know that before, uh, or the person that owned it when um, in 1983, he bought it from a school teacher in York County, Virginia. So you know York County, Yorktown, you know that area. Um, before that, I don't know, and I think that is the owner that painted it from its original green and white stripe to the black and gold. Yeah. So that, that's a fun project. That's something I need to do. And I actually want to do it. Maybe I'll do that next week. <laughs> Good idea. Put me on something to do. Right. Yeah. Well, and so for, for the guys that, you know, for the guys that that's their, you know, day life of their job is researching cars. That's seems to be the first question we go to. Right. So what's the history of it? <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, where, where, what's the story, right? So the story yeah. about, but this car, I don't know prior to me, but I know that it created. So my dad taught me work ethic, right? The man worked when he was sick. He broke his ankle. He was always hustling, getting it done. And he was a great man. But there was that entrepreneurial side of things that I needed, and it's it's strange. I I look back at my life now and all the stuff that's happened. We'll cover a little bit of it tonight, um, today, I'm sure, but. I look at it and say, what was the possible, what's the chances, right? You could see a car and the car drag you to your future, right? Steve Jobs said in a commencement speech, uh, college, I forget which college that you can never look, you can never connect the dots looking forward, only looking backwards. And so I look back now and see how serendipitous some of this stuff was. But at the time, the only thing I knew was I was going to own that car. And that was, like I said, my why, my how became cutting grass, washing, you know, my neighbor's cars, getting a paper route. You know, it it sort of started to fill in uh, my core business owner, entrepreneurship guy. (laughs) Sorry. So. Uh, let me tell you a little, fast forward a little bit. Uh, so at 16, I got my first car. It was a Mustang. It was a 74 Mustang two. It was a four cylinder. And so my brother had bought the car a year or two before, and it was white with blue stripes. And so we got the car and painted it Royal blue, took the stripes off of it. And so I didn't have money to hot rod it. And of course in 1986, parts for 2300cc aftermarket parts to hot rod it just weren't that readily available so i started mixing over-the-counter fuel treatments to try to figure out if i could make it go faster um that i was a dreamer like fake it till you make it i was dreaming right and so um we had a there was a local uh, fast food restaurant at a shopping center about 
two miles from my house. And that's where everybody used to hang out. So I was driving my Mustang too, and I would go up there and that's where the Chevelles, uh, I think one Fairlane and Camaros was mainly General Motors and a few Mopars. And, you know, back then I was a Ford guy. Um, I'm a car guy now, but back then I was just, if it, if it didn't have, you know, Ford on it, it wasn't any good, you know? And of course now I appreciate the quality of cars and I like all the different models and aspects, but I would drive up to this place and have this heart of gold, right? And I wanted to fit in. I wasn't a jock. I wasn't the ladies man and I didn't have the hot rod, right? So I was sort of unremarkable as they like to use in terms. And I would pull up there and hang out with people and I wasn't an outcast. I just wasn't the cool guy on the block. And, um, it, it, you know, it was fun and we would try to include ourselves and stuff and the party would always go another direction or the, you know, people would go do crazy stuff or whatever. And we would try to tag along, but kind of get left into dust, so to speak. Um, and there was a lot of times this was Friday nights, really. You went up there every Friday night, maybe some Saturday nights. And one Friday night, my buddy TJ, who's in the book, you know, he's a lifelong friend. And another guy was we just happened to be riding down some side streets like we often did. We would pick a side street and we're approaching we're, it's two lane. Well, it's a road with a median. So one lane on each side. And as we're approaching the end of it, toward the end of it, I could see the silhouette of a Mustang 65, 66, well, 64 and a half to 66. You know, I could see that body style. And we got a little bit closer and you could see it had stripes because you could see the, the stripes, you couldn't tell what color they were. And as we got a little bit closer, I could tell, you know, had GT uh, exhaust tips. And then it was underneath the street light, and the car was dirty, so it really had a glare on it. So you really couldn't see the color until you got right up on it. And then I saw the black and gold. And if you can imagine this car I have not seen since 1983. Now, this was, we're fast forwarding, I'm skipping a little bit for time's sakes, but we're now uh, 1987. So we're four years later and I see this car and I, you know, we went down and turned around and came back. I got out of the car in the middle of the road. I looked at it and I was speechless. Like here's this car that I've, what happened between 83 and 87 was I would see the car occasionally driving down the road and then disappeared. Um, and I would talk to the person that used to own it. And he said, I sold it to a, to a guy and, you know, I don't know where it is. So uh, it kind of disappeared from my life for a while. And when I saw the car, I, it was it. And my life had changed a lot. I'd started making some money. I didn't have a lot of money, but I was in that, you know, working toward it. Uh, this was on a Friday night. So this was before cell phones, of course. So the next day I go and knock on the door and talk to the lady that's there. And it was her son's car. And she said, yes, it's a matter of fact, we're getting ready to put it up for sale. It's like, don't sell it, please, whatever. Yeah, it's like freaking her out, you know. And uh, so her son uh, was going to call me later that day. So I had to go home and sit by the phone. Never forget, we had this big orange phone on the wall <laughs> with a little chalkboard on it. And I sat there at my house watching the three or four channels we had on TV um, for probably three hours. And finally he called. And so I met with him and we cut a deal. I, I it was funny. I, he, he wanted twenty five hundred dollars for the car. And so I said, no problem. And then when we started talking about payment, I said, well, I've got a problem is I don't have twenty five hundred dollars. But I told him the history behind this car. And I said, you know, look, I've wanted this thing. And so we cut a deal. He could keep the car, keep the title and I'd make weekly payments. So that was my first no money down deal. And I do a lot of real estate now. And so if you look at some of the real estate deals I do now before I, 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 you know, I read on creative financing, I'd actually created some creative financing for myself. And it was a uh, owner financing, no money down, no interest uh, deal, but it was on a car. You got to start somewhere. And that's, you know, I guess it's kind of that it only took you four years to, almost owned the car how how what kind of 
how many payments were we making before you finally got to take it home? Or, well, so, or do we get to the story of the default? <laughs> well, no, no, <laughs> no default, no default, almost the default. So we, we had this gentleman's agreement that I'd pay a couple hundred dollars you know, here and there. And uh, every Friday I'd give him something. So it wasn't a set amount. And that was the cool thing on my end. I didn't commit myself to something I couldn't fulfill. So a few weeks later, maybe a month later, month and a half later, he, he called me and said, hey, we, we have a problem. My parents want the car gone. So I, I, I don't have and I'd roughly paid half of it at that point. I said, well, I, I, I can't pay the money for it. Uh, however, I'll keep making payments. So we worked a deal to where I could bring the car home and I would keep making payments and he would keep the title. That was fair. Now, one thing I skipped over, best part, I'd asked when I first saw the car that Saturday, I asked my dad if he if he would loan me the money or help me buy the car. And that's where I started. I started analyzing words people use. <laughs> so he said, you don't need another car, meaning I had the 74. I don't need a 66. He didn't say I couldn't have it. He said, I don't need it. So that was my out. So I, we I worked play word games like that all the time. Yeah, it's sometimes. Well, now it gets me in trouble, but with my wife, it does. (laughs) Yeah. So I, uh, I, uh, my brother had a big F two fifty Hobway. So if if you know trucks, you'll know that this was a truck that had a cylinder in the front that helped it steer. It was just a big beast of a truck. So we drove down to this house on Silver Isles there, where it was, and hooked a rope up to it, and I sat in the car. And my brother towed me home, right? We we did the deal. He kept the title. I took the car and we're on the way home. And we had about a three mile ride. And so this car had been sitting, sitting for a while. And, you know, the GT disc brakes in the front, the four piston uh, disc, disc in the front, the drums were almost locked up in the rear. And it was dragging one of the tires at first and then it started rolling. So this was a... Uh restoration candidate when you bought it it wasn't actually a th- this son wasn't actually driving and using the car it was just a castaway no so this gets into i don't want to i don't want case, to sell the whole book no but, no no in so. case the old owner <laughs> listens to this i don't want to make him upset but so this guy would have a wiring problem a fuse would blow now this is the owner i bought it for, or uh, the owner that i saw it with that owned it 1983 uh, if a fuse would blow and he was always wiring up something and adding gauges and switches to be doing something, he would have a short, intermittent short. So his idea was aluminum foil. So if he wrapped a fuse in aluminum foil and stuffed it back in the fuse blocks, then suddenly the fuse wouldn't blow. So that was his fix. And so when the owner that I bought it from, we'll call him Stan, he uh, he had wiring problems. and. And so the wiring harness had finally cooked to the point in the car it wouldn't run. So he hadn't run it in a while. And now this was a 30, it was a 289 block with 351 Windsor heads. And this engine had been drilled, uh, the, the pressed in studs had been drilled out for the, you know, screw in studs, um, for the fulcrum rockers. And yeah, it had some problems. They weren't drilled straight. So it would wear the studs on one side and things like that. So the car had a few issues. Um, tires low to, I think one was flat. We had to pump it up. Uh, the windows were the regulators were broken. So the window glass was at an angle. So some rain had been getting in the car and it had that typical old car smell. Um, later I discovered below the carpet, the floorboards had holes, you know, in the floor pans because well, the water getting in. And we live in an area where they salt the roads a few times a year or so. And um, so we drag the car home and I'm thinking the rope's going to break. The brakes are going to give out. I'm going to run underneath this F-250. I mean, all the stuff that could go wrong. I finally got the car. You know, this was an amazing day for me. I mean, think this started in the summer of 83. And this the day we actually got it was November 3rd, 1987. Uh, and that date's important in the future. So we bring the car home. We stop out front, and my dad comes out of the house and said, "I thought I told you you couldn't have you know you couldn't buy that car." And I said, "No, Dad. You said I don't need another car." And so that's when I learned how nice of a guy my dad was, because he could have easily just blew a gasket. And uh, 
So after a little bit of aggravation, I could tell that he had with me, we, uh, he started walking around the car and the old car guy came out of my dad, right? The hot rodder when he was a teenager. And suddenly he started to see the draw that I had to this car. Um, it wasn't, you know, partying, wasn't drugs and craziness and getting in trouble. My desire, my hobby was a car. And I guess he was okay with that. I've said many times that drugs would have been a lot cheaper for my car. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, unfortunately, but I, uh, I, yeah, I looked at this and just sort of, like I said, all this stuff was, I worked hard for this and I tried and I never gave up, but a lot of this was self propelling, right? I could see this, st- this stuff would just start to happen with this car. It, it, when we get a little bit further into the story and I, I don't want it to go, you know, too much time on the very beginning because I want you to know that the desires that people go through with a car. So maybe you, uh, you have a successful company and you make a lot of money and then you buy the car. Well, I grew up in a middle-class family. I mean, we always had something to eat. We always had clothes, but we didn't do the extravagant stuff. Right. So the car wasn't a necessity. This car created the lifestyle that I have today and the desires that I have today in business, life, family, it's amazing. People tell me, you know, calm down. It's just a car. Yeah. To I, me, yeah. I was going to try to jump ahead a little bit in the story. Because like I said, I don't want you to tell tell the whole book or yep. anything. Yep. But you're, <clears throat> you're 17. You've got this project. You got it home. Dad's excited for it. And I'm sure dad helped out. Oh, yeah. But as I get bored with cars really quick, um, I had a friend who was very much like you. And he... He bought a 67 Mustang Fastback, and he still owns it to this day, and it's always been, I think he's driven it like a total of three miles, (laughs) but it's all, and I mean, it's nice and done and four or five different motors in it through the years. It's always, always a work in progress thing. He's never quite happy with the finished project, and I think he's owned over a hundred Mustangs in his life, but this, like you said, started to create a um, lifestyle or started to drive you. So let's put the car a little bit aside and get into the little bit of the entrepreneurship. So you're, you're 17, you're approaching, I'm going to say high school graduation. Right. Um, Did the car help guide you to the career path or did you just, I mean, well, sure. So here's what happened. We would work on the car a lot. My dad and I just about every single night. Uh, So at that point I had a paper route in the morning then I would go to school. And then after school, I worked at an auto parts store. Then I would come home and do homework. And then I would work on the car until pretty late. That was my life for up until we got the car on the road. You, you know the feeling. So we get the, we get the car on the road. And uh, the key about spending time with my dad was a few years later, he would pass away. Unexpect- well, not it was expected, but I mean, he, he, uh, he got you know ill. And so this valuable t- time that I got to spend with my dad taught taught me a lot of how to work on cars. So fast forward a few years um, uh, or fast forward a year, July of 88, um, I let my girlfriend talk me into selling the car and getting a big truck. So I sold the car. I, I watched the rear balance disappear in the, in the, in sort of down the road. And I was sick. I knew I'd made a mistake. So anyway, so we, I go on through 88, wishing I hadn't sold the car. 89, I found out my, my dad was sick. Um, uh, 91, he passes away. At that point, I, I, I'd started in 1989 working at one of the national auto part or auto repair facilities. So I was my working with my dad on the car enabled me to then put myself work, have a job, right, to put myself to a community college for HVAC repair. Somehow, suddenly I wanted to do heating and air conditioning. So as the years go by, I get a job in the heating and air conditioning business, and I became a 20-year-old working a lot, having fun with friends, and always thinking about this car. There was a song came on the uh, radio one day by Jeff Carson. It's called The Car. And if you listen to it, just go back and listen to it and listen to the story for what I've told you so far. It is a mirror, almost, story to my dad and myself in this car. And so that started the ball rolling. And I'd always look for it, talk to someone. Well, right after I heard that song, I talked to someone that is a a local hot rodder. He has a rod shop or used to have a rod shop. And 
he uh, he told me, hey, I remember the guy you sold the car to because he, he knew me from the auto parts store. And he goes, I have the engine out of the car. So that got me into that. I found who I sold the car to, lived over in the country about an hour from me. I went over and looked at the car. It was in his yard. Same way I found it. Windows down, engine out, um, rotting away. He, he wouldn't sell it back. And then he put a big price on it. And so I, my failed attempt to get it back. Then the car disappears. A few years later, I found myself living in a city called Newport News, um, and I'm looking for this car on occasion. November rolls around of 1997, and my buddy TJ says, reach out to the guy you sold the car, track it down. Long story short, I found the car. It was two miles from where I was living. Um, it, it, you know, it was it, the whole time I'm looking an hour and a half away, it was down the road, and I didn't have any money. Um, in 1996, there was one case where I went to buy some chocolate chip cookies from the local convenience store that came in the roll, and I didn't have enough money because um, I'd, I'd wasted money. I was in a car accident. I couldn't work and all that good stuff. And so what happened was that was my low point. That was the uh, physical why or fork in the road. I decided that night I was going to take a path to success. I was going to put myself back on the path that I was when I first saw this car in 83 and then again in 87. And um, that night, I remember I was saying, if you think it, it'll come true. I put it in my mind. I was going to find the car. I was going to own the car. And that was it. Fast forward uh, about seven or eight months, November 3rd, 1997 to the day I found or I bought the car. I actually bought the car back. Um, I still have the title that my mom and dad had signed in 1988. So no one had ever registered the car. Um, amazing. You know, I, I get the title and that's just, wow. The funny thing was when I saw the car in 87 uh, uh, on the side of the road, the really the, when I knew it was the car, I saw the rear balance, you know, with the GT tips. When I sold the car in 88, that's the last thing I saw. When I bought the car back in 1997, that was the only thing still black and gold in the car. The rest of it was primer. And I sent you the picture on that. Yep. And I, I saw that car and I'd realized that during the 90s, the car had decayed and so had I. Right. So I, my life had decayed. The car had decayed. And now when I found this car, I promised that I was going to rebuild. It was going to be better than ever. But I think deep down I was promising myself. Right. I was going to rebuild my life. Just and out of so curiosity. I, yes. Um, as the girlfriend that convinced you to buy the truck, she's long gone or <laughs> oh, she was gone. She was gone a few months after, but she was that rekindling flame that would pop up here and there. You know, we, we changed her name. <laughs> we called her Delilah. If you look up, you know, in history, Delilah had her issues. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was it was it was interesting. So it was just one of those things uh, that, you know, my life had suddenly changed and I became the person that I imagined I would be. Things started to change. I bought the car back. I bought a house on the, and I say it in a book, Clemwood Parkway. So this car was on one side of the road when I first saw it in 83. The big circle was it. I now live across the street from where I first saw the car. So I bought the house directly across the street and I have the car in the backyard um, all the serendipitous stuff, the stories, the you know uniqueness about this was pretty amazing. Uh, it was one of the things. And so um, this was 1997 when I got the car back. I actually took it to my employer's shop. In 1998, I bought that house on Clemwood. And then in 2000, one day I was watching a tarp blow on the car. And I said, you know, I'm no better than the guys who let this thing rot out in, in the country. I decided right then and there I was going to start my heating and air conditioning because I've been working HVAC service technician, you know, making pretty good money for the last few years, but I was making 40,000 in 1994, but I was spending 41. So I made a lot of money on paper, but I didn't have anything. Um, so in 2000, I started my heating and air conditioning company and I met my wife. Um, if a couple years later, I started rebuilding the car and my goal was to have it at the 2004 Nashville Mustang show. I think, what was that? The 45th or the 40th? That's 2004. That'd be 40th. Yeah, that'd be 40th in yeah. 2004. So, so this car, the last time I'd driven it was 1988. So 
The next time I drove the car literally was around the block down the road where I first saw the car, put it in a trailer, took it to Nashville, unloaded it, and we took it around super speedway with the other cars. We had to you know, get to do the parade lap and the the on-track live session. Um, of course, I, I realized shaking down a car, <laughs> going around Nashville is probably not the place to do it. You should probably do it on the side streets. Uh, but it was it was interesting. I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I had a helmet on going around the track. My neck got tight. My shoulders were tight. And I'm thinking, man, I'm having an anxiety attack. I'm having a stroke. What's going on with me? And I looked in the rearview mirror and the headliner was swelling up around my helmet, pressing down on the helmet. Um, so it was funny. All the stuff that can go through your mind. It was a headliner swelling up because my windows were down. <laughs> so so uh, wait, I, I, I've got to ask a question here. Yes. If you were you were at the four. 40th uh mustang 2004 uh, celebration were you did, did you go to the i guess it would have been the 45th at the barber uh motorsports museum in birmingham did not um no well then there goes that serendipitous uh, turn because uh, that's actually where john and i met for the first time and got to know each other john was working there i was at henry ford museum and took serial number one mustang and the uh, mustang one prototype down for that, that event. And that's kind of how I guess Mustang connected John and I. So you were, at, so, uh, but didn't it rain at that event? I don't, I don't remember. I, <laughs> Sorry, don't, I don't remember. I don't think so because I remember walking around a little bit outside, but, and the um, irony is I was going through some photos today and I came across those pictures from, from when Derek and I met. <laughs> so that's, that would have been serendipitous, wouldn't it? Well, it, so I think, you know, the, I've gotten the car back together and there was something that I lost a little motivation. My business kept growing and I kept doing fun stuff like that. But, you know, the car, the chase, the it was uh, not over with, but I had it. It was done. It was in the garage. And of course, read the book because there is really good details in there. But it inspired me, literally, a car inspired me, on top of having really good parents, inspired me to then visualize my future and work hard at getting it. And I'm actually in my home studio here where I do a lot of our uh, uh, YouTube videos and whatnot. Um, the car is directly below me right now, <laughs> covered up in a condition garage. <laughs> so, you know, and it's a, by the way, it's a 347, two fours. Um, <clears throat> the exact car that I've always wanted. So it's a resto mod. The interior, the interior is uh, the pony interior. Um, sorry, you don't mind here. I've got to plug in a charger and get a drink of water. <laughs> Um, so sorry about that guys. My, I didn't notice my charger. You plug it in for me. The, um, so it was, it was just, a, it was an amazing time, uh, getting the car back. And I, t I tell you that th there was this, there was this goal for me that I, I wanted to build this car and make it, you know, better than ever before. And, and I did that I, the car that I visualized in 1988 is the car that's sitting in the garage. Now it's just had newer versions of parts and pieces stuck to it. So it was, it was very interesting. There's something I want to say I admire about that. I don't comprehend. And I'm sitting here thinking <laughs> of the people I know that are long-term owners of their vehicles. Right. And I've got the, the one friend from high school that has the 67 Mustang. I have another acquaintance from high school. We had a falling out that has a 64 and a half Mustang that was cool as heck in high school. And he still has it. And, you know, my dad's in his ownership of his 64 and a half. I mean, it's been in the family for whatever that is now. 40, what is that, 55 years? Yeah. Um, and a half. Why, why are these, why do these Mustangs, you know, I'm sitting here thinking maybe it's time yeah. I, I buy a Mustang. And I think <laughs> if I go through, I've, I've got other friends that have owned, you know, Mustangs for decades. Um, maybe it's the fact they just can't be sold. Nobody will buy them. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say I'm, that, but I was trying to be nice, John. You know, yeah. you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm not nice. But. Yeah, that's all right. No, I, and I get it. Some people, this car to me has a value. I've got, there's more money I've invested in this car than 
it, you know, you think, well, if you're really good in business, why'd you invest eighty thousand dollars in this car? Because it's it's it was my drive. It's what's fueled everything before and since. You so, can never try to quantify that. It, it's pleasure. Can. I mean, if it, like I've always pointed out, if you hunt and you fish, you you spend a a fortune. I mean, it's right. it's money. You're gonna if you go bowl every you know, every weekend for 40 years, you're going to spend, I don't know, a bucket of money bowling. You, you know, if you spend 50 bucks every weekend that you go out and bowl, it's the same thing. You had fun doing it. And well, I was listening to one of your podcasts where the 1996 pre-runner, the Ford truck sold for just over 10,000 right? at, a, at an auction, but then other cars, the Scooby van was what, 59,000? It's, so this is yeah. my version of the Scooby van. Exactly. You get exactly what what makes you happy. And right. As you say, you know, you say that the car drove your career choices right. and motivated you and brought you back from times of low. And why I'm not that drastic because I'm lucky, you know, it's we're commonly talk about it on the podcast. I'm lucky to keep a car 12 months. I just, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I just, just get rid of them. I mean, two months. <laughs> and, yeah. but that's how I ended up where I am today. Right. You know, I graduated high school, went off, you know, with the intention of becoming a lawyer. And a couple of weeks of college later, honestly, I couldn't find a parking spot and I went home and I didn't go back for six years. <laughs> Six or seven years, and spot story, huh? Yeah. So, by by, in six or seven years, I figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I I could be a lawyer, and I could own two or three cars, which I now know some lawyers that own a lot more than two and three cars, right? right. Or I could restore them and drive them all. And still to this day, I don't have lawyer money, but it's driven and I've been able to drive them all. And I've had a very, you know, very good middle-class life. So, well, and I'll tell you a few years later, uh, I sold my heating and air conditioning company, uh, and sort of didn't fully retire, but took some time off at 37. So think about this, this story, the ups and downs in the book, we write about peaks and valleys, right? And you get that in life. You get it with cars. I guess you get a good one and a bad one, but overall you're, you're still like your hobby. And we get to, um, I, I started in the building business. Now, right before I sold the HVAC company, I started flipping houses. That's where my real estate career began. And so from 2005 to 2007, I was doing both. So then we started building houses. And guess what happened in 2008 with the housing market? Uh, I got divorced. <laughs> well, and, and I got to work from that's that. why the housing market yeah. tanks. Yeah. And, and, well, and I had to sell a house in that market. <laughs> well, well I, I got divorced from a lot of money. <laughs> so we lost a lot of money in that time. And so then I went from what I felt like one of the smartest guys in one month to, you know, a dummy a, a year later. And so our building career started. And then I had a chance to go to uh, Pine Mountain Valley, Georgia, and help with an extreme makeover build as a builder of modular custom modular homes. And I, um, I went down and did it, realized I wanted to do this 11 months later, uh, actually 10 months later, we were in Virginia beach and I was the exclusive builder for the Virginia beach extreme makeover build. And I, I realized at one night in the middle of that week, that crazy, well, actually like four and a half days that we build 4,300 or that I built a 4,300 square foot house. It was in that Four and a half days, one night, I looked up at the halogen lights, everything going on, the volunteers really doing a great job. And I remembered that summer in 1983 and everything that happened between that summer and seeing this black car and now being filmed on a primetime TV show was a result of a 66 Mustang GT. And I know there's a lot of other factors and family and friends and hard work and desires, but that was the core motivation that took me through all of that. And, and that's one the thing I just want to talk about how a car can motivate you to make a lot of money so you can buy more cars or to give money away or to be a better person. And not that money makes you a better person, but so if I want to give a house away, right, that's on my bucket list. I want to flip a house and give it to someone. That all started in 1983 with a car. And that's what I think is the interesting, the power of hot rodding, the power of restoring a car, your, the fun stuff, you know? It's a, 
And to me, it's a really good story and it's interesting. And I, I totally see what you're saying. And now I've got to sit down and read the parts of the book that I haven't. <laughs> Sorry. I probably told you too much in the beginning. Uh, well, now I can skip the first chapter. But <laughs> That's right. Speed up. Speed yeah. up. Although you already read that. But yeah. I do. I think, John, you're right. I mean, I what I like about it is, you know, it. it and and you run into it in a uh, in the the car world and and there's actually a, a car in the new Ed Roth you know Big Daddy uh, Ed Roth, Big Daddy Roth Ratfink exhibit we're doing that a gentleman built because you know it 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 got him away from drugs and alcohol and it's got a huge story like this that follows this but it's it's one of the cool things I think you find in the the car hobby and the the car world that we're all connected in whether it's you know as a hobby or as you know tying into your career or something there's always these great stories out there um you know about what cars have done for people and what it's it's as 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 you've entitled your book you know what what it's driven people to do and um you know it's just i you know of course coming from, again, that history background and that, you know, interest in stories and, you know, history of cars, but also just the history of people. I love hearing these stories. And I think it's it's good to get these stories out there because, you know, one of the things that we always talk about on this on this podcast is that, you know, we want to encourage the younger generation to get involved. And, you know, here we're talking to a guy that when he was, you were 13, right? 13, yeah, 13 years car? old. Yeah. yeah. 13, you know, saw a car, fell in love with it. And it, I mean, it, it hooked you. And that's, you know, I think there's a, a lesson to be learned there. You know, maybe the first car you see might not hook you in, in your case it did, but you know, maybe, okay, maybe a Mustang doesn't interest you, but go out there and check out other cars. Maybe, you know, maybe a GTO or maybe a Chevelle or maybe whatever is going to be the car that hooks you and leads you into an amazing life and career. And that car is going to be that driving factor. And and that's what it was for me. My eight-year-old son, well, you know, this we've talked about it. I, I don't want this car to ever go anywhere. <laughs> so he, he already knows this is his car one day. Uh, uh, my two daughters, you know, they they love they love it as well. But my little boy and I, now we get to experience that again. So that connection my dad and I had working on it, well, now we get to do it as well. Um, can I tell you a funny story about a car show uh, just last year? Yeah. Um, so we, uh, Virginia beach has a pretty big car show. Um, and we drove in there and the Mustang guys were, were parked in a, in a row. And so I drove in and it's a big building. This car is loud. It's a 347, 13 and a half to one compression, two fours. Um, everything's electric. Uh, it's, it's an awesome, it's an awesome car. Um, I pull into this and everyone's looking around this big barrier that's there to see what's coming. They thought it was big block stuff or you know, Chevy or whatever. And I came around the corner and they said it was sort of like hearing the roar, but then seeing a mouse come around the corner, they just didn't place the sound in the car together. So when I, I parked with the Mustang guys, um, I didn't feel welcome that much to this particular group. And it was funny. There was a group of the next row over was Corvettes, Chevelles, Camaros, and one of the guys came over and said, hey, I think your car belongs on this aisle right here. That's what it sounds like. It belongs on this aisle. And as you know, I told you in 1983, it was or 86. It was if it wasn't for it, I didn't want it come full circle. The appreciation that I have for the time, money, effort that people put into cars. And not only that is I like the different body lines of different cars that are out there. Um and it was funny that my Mustang was suddenly found itself in a row of big block Chevrolets because that's what it sounded like at the time. And that was an amazing thing to me. I said, well, you know, and I'd started this journey as like was binary, I guess, just had this one car that I liked. And now my appreciation for cars because of my growth as a person and appreciation for, you know, the hard work and money that goes into stuff. When I see a car that is spotless, it's chrome, the paint job is like, you know, candy. It, I know there's a ton of t- 
time, pride, skill, money in that car. And so I appreciate the effort. That's just my take on it now. <laughs> I guess you get older and smarter, right? Ellis, <laughs> you know, Derek and I have... We're, we're still working on it. <laughs> so we've worked with a lot of cars, put a lot of cars together yeah. for people. And it's, it is a tremendous amount of work. And I, you know, I'll fight it a lot of different ways, whether or not, you know, you use dollars to build it or you used your hands to build it. But, um, you know, it's a kind of a, like I said, it's a fascinating story. And, it, you know, it really has me thinking, you know, that. I just never put two and two together with some of these people that have owned their cars 20 and 30 years and how it's shaped their lives. And I've been quiet listening to your story, but also thinking through some of my buddies that have had, you know, their cars that long. And I can see where it has guided and twisted their lives. And sometimes it gets put off to the side a little and then it gets brought back to life. And um, it, was, it, it was funny when I first finished the car, we drove it to the local mall. And in 1996, remember, I couldn't afford a roll of chocolate chip cookies. One day sitting in, we drove it to this mall. There was a Saturday afternoon car show in the corner of the mall parking lot. So we drove up there and I decided to go into the mall and get one of those $50 cookies. <laughs> so we were sitting in the car eating this $50 cookie, you know, in this car done now, right? Brought it back from the grave, the picture I sent you. And in a time where I couldn't afford these cookies, now why why did I buy a fifty dollar cookie? And and in the book I tell you because I could, <laughs> you know it, it 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 brought everything back. It was as simple as a cookie for Pete's sakes, right? And so at a speaking event that I went to, we had a couple of those cookies out there, and people. And also, by the way, I bought a Huffy Bandit. I found one on Facebook Marketplace, and so it's actually sitting right across from me here. I bought a seventy eight Huffy Bandit. The unique thing about that bike is it was it was black and gold. If you look up a picture of it, the car was or the the bike was black and gold. The car was black and gold. And now I'm a Dean Graciosi and Tony Robbins, um, I guess, understudy of the Mastermind course. Hmm. And the colors on the Mastermind course is black and gold. And so that's my story <laughs> of where we're at today. I just I love everything. And the cool thing about this is the publisher said, can you document some of the stuff? Sure. I still have the title. My mom and dad signed up can show you a deed where I lived across the street. And if you trace this title, you'll see where it was registered to the house across the street. You know, and it's it's so interesting. Somebody one time told me, I think you have a story for a magazine. And then after the extreme makeover build, a buddy of mine said, no, you need to write a book and inspire people that come from this unremarkable, normal seeming, quote unquote, whatever normal is, this unremarkable life of you think you're just going to have to go get a job that you hate and work it for most of your life and then die. That's not the way it works out. So I like to tell people the life you're living today was once a thought in your brain years ago, right? So something, your, your thoughts turn into where you are. And, and in your future, if you visualize it and keep it there and work on it, put it in your subconscious, this car became part of my subconscious, right? I didn't have to think about it. It was just always there. And so when you anchor something like that, cars, finding a car, working on cars, your love for cars or business, it, it, it all comes back to that's what motivates us, right? In my case, a car motivated me. Motivated me. Some people, it might be something else, you know, and that's the that's a good thing about hot rods. Of course, when you're at a car show, it's hard to sell motivation uh, to people, even though one of the most expensive hobbies you could have, you need it. <laughs> well, we're just about at that 60 minute mark like we we usually try to hit. And I, that's right. I don't know, I've, I've kind of got a few more questions, but I think we'll hold off. I'll read the book and I'll probably get them answered. Yep. Um, and it's interesting. Yeah, we don't want to give everything away. We want people to, we want yeah. people to go out and get their, you know, get the book and read it and, and learn. We don't want to give it all away, yeah. John. Yeah, well, let's, let's quickly, <laughs> before I get into what I'm going to tie back to this and an interesting chain of events and, and it even involves Mustangs, but where where can we get your book? Where would you prefer us to get get your book? 
Dwayne. Well, if you go to my website, DwayneCotton.com, um, and it's D-U-A-N-E, but DwayneCotton.com forward slash driven. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think I'm catching your cold. <laughs> forward slash driven. I caught my cold from Ron White. We went to a Ron White show Friday night, and he he started out saying he had a cold, and you know these. Is are, this the tater salad, Ron White? This is the tater salad, Ron White. And he, uh, he and I I walked out of there with a cold, so I don't know. And I was in the balcony seats. He must have had a really bad bad cold. Yeah, I I love him. He's awesome, isn't he? Yeah, I they were. Uh, I bought the tickets as a present for my fiance for Christmas because uh, she she absolutely loves them. I, you know, I see, seen his stand ups on TV occasionally, yeah. and but no, it was probably one of the better comedy shows I've ever been to. And he's uh, he's definitely an interesting character. And when he left the theater in Birmingham, somehow a little bit later, he posted a um, picture to Instagram or Twitter or something about stopping by a Taco Bell and. His manager came up with the idea of giving the guy in a Camry thirty-five bucks to buy their Taco Bell because the drive-through was the only thing open. You can't walk up, and a tour bus doesn't fit through there. But oh, that's right, that's right. <laughs> the, the the problems of a celebrity, right? Oh yeah. Um, so uh, I wanted to say also, if when you go to DwayneCotton.com, there's a YouTube video that should that should be on the first page or maybe second page. It populates there that of my car. I kind of did a walk around of it. So it's there. You can hear it run and things like that. So if somebody wants to see it, but um, I just want to inspire people. I want, I want everyone to know that, you know, you haven't lived your best days yet. I tell everyone I haven't lived my good old days yet, you know, and that, and that's the belief system I have. So. No, well, we're doing a little bit better with the show notes too, for our listeners who have ignored our show notes. So we will definitely have (laughs) links to the YouTube video and to Dwayne's book in there. But what I was going to go to, and it's kind of a sad note, but for some reason I'm going to tie it to a Mustang, too, is we don't talk about people passing away too often on no driving gloves. We, you know, reserve that for very special people. And as a matter of fact, in the 110, 112 episodes we've done, we've only discussed Lee Iacocca's passing, which, of course, is the father of the Mustang. Right. And I don't know if this is nationwide, but I think it is. Earlier this week, a little four-year-old finally passed away, um, Wyatt, and there was a big hashtag going around, burnouts for Wyatt and things, and I'm going to mention Wyatt. You know, he's an adorable kid, and I put something on uh, Instagram about it, and he kind of reminded the way the car community came together and the racers and street people were posting their YouTube videos because the kid loved burnouts. And people would do burnouts and post their videos. And that's how he spent his last couple of days. His parents brought him home from the hospital when, you know, they knew that the end was near. And he got to spend his days seeing what he enjoyed as a four-year-old. And that was the car connection to him. And it brought the car community together in a very special way. And I think his parents, um, Greg and Christy Spann, I believe is their name, are taking over uh, the hashtag uh, burnouts for Wyatt and going to create a charity around that. And it kind of goes back to, and you really reminded me, Dwayne, when you were talking about trying to give away a house and giving back to the community, people like that are really why we're into cars. You know, the cars bring us together. It's the people that keep us coming back. So that's an awesome, that, no, that, and, um, I, I, how about I, I light them up in my 66 and, and I'll, and I'll do the hashtag and put it all over the internet. I, I will, I will, I will light them up from one end of my street to the next. <laughs> I'm sure he, he would be looking down grinning. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. you know, he just, this you know, check out our Instagram. It's the only picture I've put up in a while, but it's him sitting on an old, I want to say Chevy truck. And wow. He's just, uh, just a cute little kid that, you know, unfortunately, Somebody needed him more than we needed him, and uh, but and th- he, he and, and reminded think about us, that. you know, at car people. Yeah, and just think about that. He that was his thing. He wanted to see these burnouts, and you know, life gets us. Life gets complicated, right? The older you get, you know, you hear time flies, and there's a there's a reason why is because you're doing all this monotonous stuff you really don't like, and you forget these little things that pop up. You know, he probably remembered every single burnout he ever saw. But his days didn't go by that fast. But 
Um, one thing I'll tell you is building a house, working with Extreme Makeover was, and the show's coming back to TV, by the way. It's revamped. I don't have anything to do with it. Uh, I wish I did. I cast it for it, but crickets. But what happens is something like that lets you know what one person can do. When you tie this in to when I do give this house away to a family with kids that's never owned a home before, and they're going to have a fenced-in yard and a swing set, when I do that, it'll all go back to the summer of 83 and a Huffy Bandit and a 66 Mustang. And and that's how, to, to me, that's where I tie it back into the success. And, you know, when I you, when you bring it back, the car community, by the way, really comes together for stuff like that. And that's what I love about it. It doesn't matter what logo is on the car, what year it is. When something like that happens, people really make it. I mean, they just, it's awesome. That's why I love the car industry and the the hot rodding industry. I think we'll, uh, unless Derek, you've got something to wrap up. I know you and I have been pretty quiet in this. Dwayne, to me, was a fascinating (laughs) listen and it just, I didn't want to interrupt. So... Well, sorry if I talk too much, but no. <laughs> I think no, no, I think that's the way. Yeah, that's the way these you know the interview shows go. I mean, the the reason we bring these you know folks that's on right. is to hear their story, and you know it's it's not you know the, the days that it's just me, Will, and John. People hear enough of us, so we like well, to we like I'll, to have some people on and you know let them tell their stories and well, let, them, and, let them tell it the way they want to. Right. And and that's, and that's good. And one thing I'll end it with is, you know, I started public speaking a couple of years ago. And uh, so it's a good thing. I like to talk, but I I like trying to bring this story of success for people, not just my story, because you can change my name in this book and put your name in there and write your own story. But I like bringing this to groups of people and the Mm -hmm. tying the motivation into the car community or into a trade group or whatever. So if anyone ever wants me to tell my story and help promote the car industry, the hot rod industry, I'm all for it. Well, we thank you for being on the show tonight, Dwayne, and uh, encourage everybody to go visit DwayneCotton.com forward slash driven, or is that backslash driven? Let me look at my keyboard. Forward forward slash driven and uh, purchase a copy of the book. It's, it's a thin little book. It's a probably a couple day read, you know, in the evening. Mm-hmm. Be quiet. Let you know. Let the wife and in, enjoy some TV show while you're reading the book and um, see what he's did. And I'm out of here for the night, guys. My I voice is about gone. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, I know Will isn't here, but um, I guess that just means I need to go. Uh, Look for a Zamboni for sale.